What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Dunk and I'm John Hodge. Today, we're discussing Nick Arbuckle getting traded. Cody Fajardo and Jason Moss hugging it out. Oh, so cute. The BC Lions getting shut out for the first time since 1970. Dude, that's a long time ago. Jeremiah Masoli getting another start in the hammer. And Dwayne Ford expressing interest in the Ottawa Red Blacks GM job. But first, Dunkster. The Ottawa Red Blacks fired general manager Marcel Desjardins following a 2-9 and nine start to the season. He finishes his tenure with a 46-71-2 and two record in the regular season, 3-1 and one record in the playoffs, and a 1-2 and two record in Grey Cups. Did this move make sense? Ooh, well, we could do a whole episode. I think it would go longer than an hour <laughs> to answer that sure. question. Overall, to me, and this might surprise some of the listeners and viewers out there, it came at a time that I didn't necessarily think this was going to happen. I really felt like the 2021 season should be put on the shoulders of Paul Apolise. I get that he's a first-year head coach there in Ottawa, and yes, he's done it in Winnipeg, but he was allowed to bring in all the players that he wanted, and Desjardins and his football operations staffers front office staff there in Ottawa had other designs on what they were going to do, namely bring in some veteran receivers, try to load up the offense, help them out because clearly that was an issue in 2019. So that's why it sort of shook me a little bit that this happened, you know, especially after them being eliminated from playoff contention. Like I don't understand how that was the final thing that made you fire Desjardins. You could tell as the season went along that Ottawa was never really going to be in the thick of it. So that, final decision or that final thing happening for Mark Gowdy to fire Desjardins doesn't really make sense to me. I think the real key here, Hodge, and Desjardins alluded to it, he said he didn't want to deal with the BS behind the scenes. (laughs) And I think there was a power struggle there. And ultimately, Lapalise is liked 
more publicly, not quite as prickly as Desjardins. I think that's what won out in the end. Well, I mean, the timing makes sense to me because we know that the Red Blacks sent out their 2022 season ticket uh, re-up the same day they fired Marcel. So obviously, you know, that that plays a factor. At least they sent it out within 24 hours. So clearly they're trying to sell the, the fan base there on, hey, look, we got rid of the problem. Now we're on to the next thing. Is that really the case? Eh, we'll see. I agree that Paul Apolise has been part of the problem in Ottawa, but here's the deal. Who hired Paul Apolise? The answer is Marcel Desjardins. The most important thing that you do as a general manager is not negotiate contracts. It's not uncovering talent south of the border or drafting well. The most important thing that you do is hire the right head coach. That is that is the number one thing. He hired a really good one in Rick Campbell, Paul Apolise, the, the jury's very much still out. Obviously, this season has not been a success for Paul Apolise in Ottawa. I think he deserves another year, but he was brought in to save that offense and to breathe life into that franchise. That didn't happen. They stunk in 2019. The offense still stinks in 2021. And it should be said that the centerpiece of the offense was supposed to be quarterback Matt Nichols. And Apolise went to the various levels of the organization and essentially went to bat for his guy. That's why the swap happened from Nick Arbuckle to Matt Nichols. A lot of people are not focused on that. Yes, Caleb Evans looks like he has some potential in the future and maybe, maybe, I stress, could develop into a guy who is a franchise-caliber quarterback. Still a long way to go, but there are some flashes of it there. But that said, Apolise wanted Nichols. That was his guy. He went to bat for him. Yes, it's not the ideal situation where the general manager is not making the final say over the roster. But when you have these major decisions being made, especially at the quarterback position, and the head coach is saying, hey, that is the guy that I want, and it doesn't work out, then that should fall on the man who made the decision. That said, on the other side of it, Lapalise still had multiple years left on his contract and with the football operations cap that was going to always be difficult to move on from, whereas Desjardins is was coming to an end. So that in and of itself, at the onset of the season, led many people around the league to believe that this was going to be the outcome. It was just a matter of time. All right. The Edmonton Elks traded a conditional draft pick and rights to Negless quarterback Chad Kelly, the nephew of former Buffalo Bills great Jim Kelly, to Toronto in exchange for quarterback Nick Arbuck. Did this deal make any sense whatsoever? (laughs) I mean, it it makes sense in the sense that Taylor Cornelius is far from guaranteed as, you know, being the guy. I think Taylor Cornelius has shown flashes. Am I ready to stake my long, long, long way away? Not even far. Like I'm I'm not ready to stake my franchise on him. And Dakota, uh, Dakota Prukop, I think is, is an interesting guy as well, but he also got passed over in Toronto and Calgary. So to me, bringing in a guy who started games in this league and has won games as a starter, let's not forget Nick Arbuckle beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 2013. The only player to beat the Zach Kolaris led Blue Bombers ever dating back to 2019. Uh, That being said, if you look at the return, so they give up Trevor Harris, who has been a, you know, great cup quarterback, won one as a backup, lost one as a starter, uh, who actually has better numbers than Nick Arbuckle. He's got a better 
uh, touchdown uh, interception ratio at the moment. He's got a better uh, quarterback efficiency rating at the moment. They traded him for an American defensive end and they give up a conditional pick for Nick Arbuckle that can go to a second rounder and they give up a quarterback who's apparently excited, has had a great college career and tweeted that he's excited to come to the CFL, which not all young quarterbacks are, are, are excited to do. So to me, it's strange to give up more for Nick Arbuckle than you got for Trevor Harris. And uh, to me, that that's my main question following this trade is what's with the return being greater for a quarterback that's done lesser, especially because Trevor Harris is under contract for 2022. Nick Arbuckle is not. It's another bad decision right off the hop. Let's just say it from general manager Brock Sunderland. He moves on from a guy that was billed at the start of the year as a dude that was going to lead the Edmonton Elks to the promised land and be a Grey Cup contender. And just a few months later, you trade him away a much more proven commodity. No disrespect to Nick Arbuckle. That's just the facts, man. You laid it out, the stats and how Harris has won a back, Grey Cup as a backup, and he's taken a franchise to Grey Cup. And the Ottawa Red Blacks, when Harris was really rolling there, were always contenders to be first place in the East. And to me now... To have to try to spin this and say that, well, we gave up more for Arbuckle, but he's less proven. And yeah, he's younger and I get it. And they might see the arrow up as Sunderland likes to say, but I don't understand how you sell this. You literally trade a guy that you were billing as an elite franchise quarterback in the league for less than you give up to get (laughs) Arbuckle, who, to be quite honest, they talk about his experience in the league, but he's now on, what is it, his third team in the last couple of years? No disrespect. Well, those are just the facts. we got to remember here, Hodge. The Argos were extremely high on Arbuckle. They paid him $150,000 in this COVID cash-strapped era to get him to sign in Toronto. That is a good point, especially because they paid him more than they gave McLeod Bethel Thompson, who they actually had in-house in 2019, saw up close to personal. And by the way, this is Arbuckle's fourth team in the last couple of years, because I'm counting Ottawa, the offseason in 2020, <laughs> as part of that. This is his fourth team in essentially two calendar years, uh, which is a red flag, right? We were, He's starting to do some of that, you know, Jonathan Jennings, uh, dare I say, uh, James Franklin type of moving around. Round, which is not healthy for a young quarterback for his sake. I hope he has success in Edmonton and he is a lot younger than Trevor Harris. I'll give them that. Maybe there's a sense in Edmonton that Trevor Harris has reached the, you know, the back end of his career. He's, 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 a, he's sneaky old. Like he doesn't have crazy mileage, but I believe he's 35 turning 36. Uh, whereas Arbuckle still in his mid late twenties. So the, you got more of a future Nick Arbuckle. The question is, can he realize that potential? Because you've certainly given up more than you got for Trevor Harris to go get him. Indeed, buddy. I just can't understand the move whatsoever. But hey, the Elks are going to try to sell it. I think we should be looking at Edmonton as the other potential for being an opening for, you know, even heck to the president, Chris Preston, general manager, Brock Sunderland, maybe even Jamie Elizondo. Like everyone felt like Marcel Desjardins was going to be out in Ottawa. But the Elks record has gotten progressively worse every single season that Sunderland has been in charge there. And you made the point earlier about Desjardins hiring a head coach and how that's really important. Well, Sunderland lets Moss go, goes out and gets Elizondo, trumpets the rapport with those two guys from Ottawa and Harris. And now they have the worst record in the West Division and, you know, could have the worst record in the league at the end of the season, depending on what happens in Ottawa. 
Yeah, and last I checked, Ottawa beat him twice this year. That needs to be said as well. <laughs> we got to take a quick break, Dunkster. When we come back, we'll be talking about William Standback and the first place Montreal Alouettes. Stay tuned. Welcome back. The Montreal Alouettes blasted the Toronto Argonauts in surprising fashion this past week, winning by three touchdowns. William Standback had 203 rushing yards while the defense recorded four interceptions. The Owls are now six and four and on a four game winning streak. Dunkster, could they really win the East Division? It's entirely possible, especially with the way Standback is running the rock, man. Dare I say, that right now, for my money, he's the best running back in the league. Andrew Harris has been superb, but he hasn't been as healthy this year. So that's why I put Stan back ahead of him. James Wilder Jr. is obviously having a great year as well. But I really think that Stan back as the dude. And the one thing that's different about the Alouettes is that they actually commit to the running game, right? Like yep. this is sort of shades. And I'm not saying it's at that level yet and he's not rushing or close to rushing for 2,000 yards, obviously, in a shortened season. But when the Owls committed to Mike Pringle, right, they ran the ball and they were dominant in doing so. And that's what you're seeing, I think, in Montreal. You know, despite that offensive line not being all that great, like they're nowhere near close to the level of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers up front. And also, you got a younger quarterback in there and Matt Schiltz, yet they were able to run for over 200 yards on a Chris Jones defense that you know is going to bring pressure. But the one thing that has been susceptible over the years is that if you can commit to the run and stay with it against Jones and that D that you can have success. So I think this is absolutely the recipe for success for the Alouettes down the stretch. If they want to make a run, I don't care who's a quarterback, Matt Schultz or Trevor Harris, but could you imagine stand back running like this with Trevor Harris and those receivers? Wow. Is it, they could be arguably right now, the favorites to win the East. Yeah, which, uh, you know, when they were two and four, nobody would have said there was talk about Kahari Jones getting fired if the team didn't make the playoffs. There was, I mean, obviously the tie cats were trending up at that point, you know, even with David Watford under center, they were winning games. And uh, I'm excited for this because Montreal, I think, despite, you know, not having a ton of success yet, at least over the last two seasons, I think they've been the most fun team to watch in the CFL. Vernon Adams Jr. loves to sling it. He can run around. He can make people miss. And you're right. William Standback is entering that conversation as maybe the best Alouettes running back since Mike Pringle. I think that was probably Avon Coburn uh, up until recently. But Standback, I mean, he leads the CFL in average yards per carry with the minimum of 25 carries. He's so fun. He can't catch, which to me is why Andrew Harris is still the top guy. But that said, William Stanback is the most fun, uh, most fun running back to watch, in my view, the way that he is physical. He showed his breakaway speed in that game that I don't think a lot of people realized he had on that long carry against Toronto. So I, I'm excited. I think if they can continue to give that run game some love and they can continue to incorporate play action and open things up for Matthew Schultz because he didn't throw the ball that much against Toronto. I think he only attempted something like 16 passes. If they can keep the game simple for Schultz, who can also move well and run around well in his own right, I think the Alouettes should be the favorite to win the East Division. Remember when Patrick Levels was talking about being like this close <laughs> to whooping everybody's asses in the East Division? Well, it looks like he was right. That All right, let's go out. Aged very well. Absolutely. 
And it did. That's a good point. I just, let's go out west. The BC Lions got blasted, man. Holy jumping. Getting shut out for the first <laughs> time since 1970, Hodge. Quick math tells me that's, what, over 50 years? Yeah. Goodness, that's crazy. 45 <laughs> nothing. they lose to the Bombers. Is it time for big changes in BC with this new regime out there? Well, I'll say this. I think Rick Campbell's a very good head coach. I think he proved that in Ottawa. Um, you know, he certainly had more success than the Red Blacks in BC since since departing that franchise mutually, we're told, in uh, at the end of the 2019 season. That being said, I, I hate this team's offense, and I hate it with a passion. BC has the highest paid offensive line in the CFL. They have the highest paid quarterback in the CFL. They don't have any top 10 targets outside of Lamar Durant uh, in terms of payment, but Brian Burnham's, you know, he's, he's making coin. He's a highly respected player. Uh, they're Canadians, Javon Katoy, you know, they, they, they've got some names and without lucky whitehead in the receiving court, this offense has been unbelievably bad. I mean, James Butler or Shaq Cooper, whoever's back there, they get four carries a game. They don't commit to the run. And I think the question has to be asked, can this team scheme? Because Jordan McSimmick came in as a highly coveted offensive coordinator there coming over from Edmondson, where he had great success with Riley. That's not translated, especially since Whitehead went down. And secondly, I think you got to start asking questions about Mike Riley. He's a future Hall of Fame quarterback. I'm not taking anything away from him and the unbelievable level of respect players have for Michael Riley in this league. That said, he's almost 37. He's the highest paid player in the league, and there's a good chance he's about to miss the playoffs for the third straight season. I don't know how going into this offseason, unless the Lions go on a burner here to end the regular season, I don't know how you don't shake something up with that franchise. The key for me is when Lucky Whitehead hurt his hand and tried to play, right? But he's been out of the lineup since, and that's really changed the complexion of the entire offense. It looked like BC there, you know, in and around midseason was trending upwards. With the way Whitehead was playing, there was lots of buzz about him being in the conversation or even the leader in our rankings, Hodge, to be the CFL MOP. So when Whitehead goes out, and you mentioned it, there's some name receivers on that team, but it doesn't seem like, it's coming together for a multitude of reasons, right? The offensive line needs to play better. There needs to be more playmaking from the receiving core. They released Shaq Cooper, so clearly I feel James Butler is better at running back. And I don't think it's fair to necessarily pile it all on Michael Riley because Riley was moving up our MLP rankings as well when Whitehead was healthy. Like that was the deep strike arm that we were used to seeing for so many years from Michael Riley, especially when he was in Edmonton with Jason Moss. It seemed like he was reinvigorated. He was over that early season elbow issue that was bothering him, essentially crept up in training camp on him. So to me, I'm just real curious how they look at it and break it down over there because they got a young defense. There's some playmakers over there. Jordan Williams in the middle has been an absolute stud. And oh, by the way, he's Canadian as well. You got to like their secondary but the offense has not been able to move the football. And to me, they have to get better up front. I think that would help Michael Riley out. He's not as mobile as he used to be because he's taken no. all of these shots. Like, right, used to pencil him in or put him in pen for at least 500 rushing yards, you know, maybe more, and potentially double-digit touchdowns. So he's not that dude anymore in terms of running the football, but I still think he can get it done as a passer. But your point's well taken. When you miss the playoffs multiple years – 
as one of the, if not the highest paid guy like Riley has been the last couple of seasons, then the Bucks ultimately going to stop the quarterback. Well, and I'll give this example too. The Montreal Alouettes are winning. They won without William Stanback for two games. They're currently winning without Vernon Adams Jr. Winnipeg just lit up BC without Andrew Harris. The Riders won a bunch of games without Shaq Evans. You take Lucky Whitehead. Really, Lucky Whitehead is the card that that brings the whole house down in BC. Like, if you're a good offense, I, yeah, tough to be without your arguably your best player. But you still got to win games without your top dog in the lineup. And they look terrible, awful since he was out. Whereas other teams have been very easily able to continue winning games, finding ways to win in new ways without some of their top talent. Dunkster Cody Fajardo said he and Jason Moss hugged it out after their win over Calgary, during which Fajardo took a costly time count violation. What do you think that says for their relationship? Well, they're both fiery competitive dudes. And I think we were a little bit used to seeing Fajardo in 2019 be able to keep his emotions, I think, under wraps now. But I think the pressure being ratcheted up has showed more of who Fajardo is. And he's a passionate football player. And we know We've seen him many times with Moss, right? He wears his emotions on his sleeve. So the key for me will be, yeah, that, you know, they hugged it out and, and you win. So that makes it all right. But what happens in one of these situations, like if that time count violation had cost them and they end up losing the ballgame, that's a totally different thing that could really change the relationship to make it worse in the future. So if they're like, you know, those brothers that are super tight, that can chirp each other, that can fight with each other and they're ultra competitive, but they continue to respect each other and it just adds strength to the relationship, then it can be a positive. But oftentimes it's so close for winning and losing in pro sports. And when you start losing, you start maybe resenting the other guy and being called out like that or vice versa. So it's certainly something to watch. I think that relationship based on how the riders finish the season. Yeah. And I I think we in the media do a bad job of this. Sometimes I think if, you know, a player makes a late mistake and the team ends up losing. It's it's all we talk about for the whole week. Oh, that error. Can you believe that mistake? Can you believe such a boneheaded move? Blah, 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 blah. And then if the team wins, we all just instantly forget about it. And it's like, it's the same mistake. It's the same player. Just the result was different. And it wasn't Fajardo who stopped the Calgary Stampeders late at McMahon in that game. It was the defense. So it was a costly error. It was a boneheaded move right for Fajardo to take that loss of down late in the game you can't make that mistake as a veteran quarterback which Cody Fajardo is quickly becoming in his second year as Saskatchewan starter but I think it says very good things for their relationship Jason Moss is probably the most fiery individual in the entire CFL I love that he wears his emotions on his sleeve even if uh, the headsets in Montreal did not love that and uh, I, I don't know I don't know how many how many headsets he destroyed there but i'm guessing the budget has gone down for new headsets in edmonton since jamie elizondo took over there uh but i think it's good when two competitors as you said can be open and honest with each other can hold each other accountable provided there is always still that underlying basis of of healthy uh uh camaraderie and and that 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 mutual respect and desire of course to win games You sort of touched on it there, Hodge, that I think teams in this league and even the media as well, when somebody wins, right, we forget all of the issues in that win and we sort of highlight the points that help them win, right? And we forget about that. But the best teams internally evaluate themselves even harder 
after a win because you become complacent a little bit, right? Yeah. You think that you won and everything's all right for that week and everybody's singing your praises like they're doing in Saskatchewan now, the first time that Craig Dickinson and Cody Fajardo have beat the Calgary Stampeders in their careers as a head coach and a starting quarterback, respectively. But you got to look at that game and make sure that that time count violation, for example, doesn't happen again, or that some of the other mistakes and issues on your team, like the offensive line, needs to improve. So the teams that are continually competing, like the Calgary's of the world, I know they've taken a step back this year, but they don't rest their laurels on what they did last week and the victory. They are grading themselves super hard and preparing for the next game. Joel Gasson, one of our top contributors based out in old Sasky, says the CFL has an entertainment problem. Are you not entertained, Hodge? What's the deal? <laughs> I see where gas is coming from. And, and there have been other critics who have spoken up and said the same thing. And the reality is, yeah, scoring is down in the CFL. We haven't seen as many circus catches as we might normally see. We haven't seen as many points. We haven't seen as many highlights. And as much as, you know, defensive football can be a lot of fun to watch, I think it's different when you've got elite defenses versus sloppy offenses. And at this point, I think we've seen more of the latter, unfortunately. Does that mean the CFL is is done and it's boring? No, of course not. There's, I think this league will bounce back, but I think the year off has hit this league harder than a lot of people anticipated. Yeah, there's no doubt, man. Like people hate this and they're not going to want to hear it. But you look at the NFL and yes, they played in 2020. But we're seeing more of the classic CFL shootout games in the NFL and also in the NCAA, as Joel points out in his piece. And you should go read it at Three Down Nation. It's excellently laid out because you look at some of the point totals in terms of the betting aspect over under for the games in the NFL and the NCAA, they're what way higher than the CFL. And we haven't seen those typical barn burner shootouts that we're used to seeing, you know, that made this league so great, you know, that we grew up on, especially me, right. In the late 1990s and the two thousands, we just haven't seen that this year. Yes. There have been some exciting finishes and it does seem like a decent amount of games, you know, have been decided in that final three minutes, like the CFL likes to say, right. The game actually doesn't start until the three minute warning or there's still so much that can go on. But to me, there is an entertainment issue here from an offensive perspective, right? Like, Cody Fajardo, I believe right now, is the second leading passer in the league, averaging less than 250 yards a game. Like, that's unheard of, right? Back in the good old days of the CFL, you had to be throwing for minimum over 300 yards just to be in the mix. Like, heck, when I was in the OUA <laughs> playing for the <laughs> University of Guelph as a quarterback, if you weren't throwing for 300, you were going to get beat by Michael Folds or Danny Brannigan or Brad Sinopoli and on and on and on goes the list of great quarterbacks that were in the era that I was fortunate to play in, in the OUA. So going back to the CFL with that, we're just not seeing the offenses connect. And yes, people want to point to the year off and sort of make an excuse for it. But as much as yes, I understand that and being away, you're paid to play. And I think a little bit also of what has, what happened here is we've seen a shift into a more conservative CFL. That's just in my view. I think there's less, risk-taking, there's more conservative play, and there's been a lot of emphasis on special teams and defense to win games. So to me, those are some of the issues. I don't really know how you go about fixing all of those things because you can't tell coaches what game plans to run or that, hey, you want them to score 40, 50 points a game because there's dudes on the other side trying to stop them. But I think overall, you mentioned it, this year has hit them hard in a number of ways. And the key for me is 
we don't have, and I'm going a little long here, but I think it's worth it. We don't have, and we missed out on that group of players that would have came in in 2020 and become stars out of nowhere that we never heard of, right? I think what's happened in 2021 is the veterans were able to hang on for another year that might have been pushed out in 2020 and brought about some explosive, exciting new stars. And that's a great point, right? In 2019, going into that season, nobody had heard of Quan Bray, right? Shaq Evans was just kind of starting to break onto the scene. And this year, we haven't seen very many players step up. Jalen Acklin, I think, has grown a lot in year two, but he was a first-year 2019 guy. He wasn't a 2021 guy. Um, we we haven't had those breakthrough stars um, necessarily. There's been a few, though, like Kenny Lawler out in Winnipeg, Ian Schaefer-Baker in Saskatchewan, well, but it's not like they're setting okay. the world on fire. Well, Schaefer Baker, I'll give you. Kenny Lawler was the team's leading receiver in 2019. They just didn't have a quarterback who liked to air it out as much as Zach Kolaris <laughs> at the time. Um, but, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, this will all shake out. I do think the CFL will be back to its high-flying ways. If there are things that the league can do to incentivize that, I think that would be wise this offseason. The other thing I'll say, I do think there's a little bit of an NFL bias at times because they play so many stinking games. If the CFL has two duds in a week, then you go, oh, man, these games aren't entertaining at all. Whereas in the NFL, you know, Patrick Mahomes throws for five touchdowns or, you know, Lamar Jackson goes for an 80-yard run. Everybody loses their minds. Meanwhile, well, six of the games were terrible. Right. It's just nobody ever talks about, you know, Jacksonville, you know, versus Washington. We, we don't have that conversation. Nobody, no, nobody cares about the game outside of those two fan bases. So, yes, the CFL, I agree, has an entertainment problem, but I'm not ready to say the sky is falling yet. I think this is fixable. I think it will write the course in the next year or two. We got to take a quick break, Dunkster. When we come back, it'll be time for Hodges Heritage Moment. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. And Dunkster, today is such an important day in CFL history. I picked two moments. The first one, on this day in 2005, Brian Deesberg participated in Wendy's Kick for a Million during halftime of a game between Hamilton and Toronto. The 25-year-old mechanical engineer from Bell River, Ontario, missed from distances of 20, 30, and 40 yards, but successfully kicked a 50-yard field goal to win a million bucks. Go check it out on YouTube. He was later added to Winnipeg's negotiation list, despite having no previous football experience, but never signed a contract with the team. Dunkster, do you remember watching Brian Deesberg kick for a million? Dude, what an epic moment that was. Nobody thought he was going to make it because he missed all the other ones before. And then, boom! Unbelievable. One of my favorite CFL moments ever. And one of those things that only seems to happen in the CFL. Second one, Dunkster. On this day in 2000, Kerwin Bell scored a touchdown to spark a comeback against his former team, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The quarterback celebrated by spiking the football into the turf, causing it to bounce and strike him in the crotch. Jerron Bolden then shoved Bell into Tommy Europe, causing the defensive back's rear end to land on Bell's head. The video of the incident has since become an extremely popular GIF and internet meme garnering millions of views. The now head coach at Western Carolina, Bell uses the video as a recruiting tool to show players that he's got a sense of humor. Dunkster, have you ever seen another player spike the ball accidentally into his own package? 
Never happened, man. That groin shot is one of a kind. It will go down in its history. It's probably the best groin shot ever in professional football. I think so. I would love to know how many million sets of eyeballs have seen it. I'm betting it's <laughs> an unbelievable number. One of the most seen CFL moments ever. And one of the most seen things that you should have before this winter is a trip to Jiffy Lube. Jiffy Lube is the number one place to winterize your vehicle on the prairies where I live. It's getting cold. I know that when I need something done to my vehicle, I take it to Jiffy Lube 50 minutes in, 50 minutes out. You're good to go. They'll take care of you. All of your needs. Take your vehicle to Jiffy Lube. Go to Jiffy Lube in and out in 15 minutes or less, man. I've gone there already a couple times for oil changes since they've become one of our leading partners on the site. I love those dudes over there. It's a family feel, especially the one that I go to in Guelph. So as you said, Haji, seasons are starting to turn. Yeah, it's a little colder out west. But even in the east, man, you got to make sure your vehicle is ready for when those colder temperatures come, especially the fall season. So get out to Jiffy Lube. It's now time for the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. TSN's Dwayne Ford says he's interested in the Red Blacks GM job. Would he be a good hire? It would be smart. Dwayne Ford knows this league inside and out, but I want to see him land in a spot that is ideal where he could pick his head coach. That's not going to be the case in Ottawa. That said, he does have a relationship with Paul Apelis from time together at TSN and being around the league. Cody Fajardo said he's not a big fan of Montreal smoke meat. What? I got to say, Cody Fajardo said he's a fat kid at heart. Well, I'm a fat kid in my heart and the rest of my body. So, yeah, I don't understand this. I love smoked meat. Give me the smoked meat. Ryan Dinwiddie said that Todd Bethel Thompson is now the face of their franchise following the Arbuckle trade. Has McLeod Bethel Thompson earned that role? He has. He's been around for so long. But, dude, that is quite a title to throw on a guy that you were quick to hook out of ball games at the start of the year for Nick Arbuckle. You paid $150,000 to, as you mentioned earlier. And he, and he threw four picks. Thompson. He threw four picks against Montreal. Yeah, a week before they trade away Arbuckle. Ah! John Ryan is out two to three weeks with an ankle injury. Will that first arrive? Well, they've got this global kid who apparently has got the strongest leg in the world, so I'm excited to see what he can do. Jeremiah Mazzoli will start again for the Ticats this week. Does that make sense? It certainly does. He had his best ball game out last time against the Ottawa Red Blacks. It looks like he's coming into his own for the Tabbies. Surrey, BC native Jamal Lyles is back with the Lions. Man, why wasn't he just with the team the whole year? I don't get it. I think it was due to, uh, judging by his Twitter feed, maybe a vaccination issue. He is now fully vaccinated. And hey, if the Lions are only going to hand the ball off four times a game, you may as well hand it to Jamel Lyles. Just saying. The Stampeders reportedly have five or six key players who remain unvaccinated and will be ineligible to travel for the playoffs. Is that a big problem? Ooh, it could be, depending who those players are, my man. Doug Flutie agrees. That Bowley by Mitchell is the greatest quarterback in Calgary Stampeders franchise history. That ain't no surprise, though, is it? I mean, Doug Flutie is the best player in CFL history, but I, I think it makes sense with the distinction of best player versus maybe most iconic or greatest in a team's history. With that said, yeah, that's fair. Bowles earned that title. With that said, we've reached the end of our show. Thank you. As always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast on behalf of Justin Duncan, myself, John Hodge, we'll see you next Wednesday.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.